time I hear a brother call a girl a girl. Trying to make a sister feel low You know all of that gots to go Now everybody knows there's exceptions to this rule I don't be getting mad when we playing it's cool But don't you be calling me out my name I bring crap to those who disrespect me like a dame That's why I'm talking One day I was walking down the block I had my cut off shorts on right Cause it was crazy hot I walked past these dudes when they passed me One of them felt my booty, he was nasty I turned around red, somebody was catching the rat Then the little one said hear me since he was with his boys, he tried to break the fly. Huh. I punched him dead in his eyes. Who you calling? Good afternoon, Brattleboro. This is WVEWLP 107.7, your, your community radio station, also streaming live at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. We're on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through educating through engaging with others in our community and through the world. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Indigo Radio. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and not of the station. Welcome. That was, um, you were listening to Queen Latifah, UNITY, that's an oldie but goodie from the 90s. 
Do you remember that, Julie? Love Queen Latifah. <laughs> so our guest in the house is Julie Cunningham, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, good morning, everybody. Happy 2020. Uh, my name is Julie Cunningham. I've lived in Brattleboro for 33 years, I think. Uh, I'm a woman of color. I've got four children and three grandsons, which is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I didn't realize you only had grandsons. I only have grandsons. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, today, we're expecting another guest, too, in the house when she comes, um, and that's Bessie Jones. But right now, um, our show is about being a black woman and um, talking about our lives from that perspective and also living in New England from that perspective and raising children in New England from, from that perspective, which is something I think about all the time as a mother of little ones. Um, and I'm sure you've thought about still and still think about um but I feel like one of the first things to think about is like how we experience our own blackness um in general and I don't know if you have an immediate comment but I I remember being little and one of the things I remember about being little and I grew up in a really multicultural environment in San Francisco was being nervous about going to school but like my hair being important to me Mm -hmm. and really wanting beads in my hair for my first day at kindergarten, I was like, I want the beads. <laughs> I want the beads in my hair. Um, which is something that you don't see much anymore, except for, like, I guess, Alicia Keys. But, like, that um, there are these hallmarks, and, like, being black to me was just a given. I never thought about it, really. But, like, there were these aspects of it that were ever present in my life. I, I can totally relate to that on one front. And then on the other front, I've had a very different experience than you. Uh, Because a lot of people, when they look at me, they would not think of me as Mm -hmm. African-American. Both of my parents are African-American. They're both uh, very fair skin. Um, My uh, mother, who's 87, is living in D.C., and she went to segregated schools. And my father grew up in Atlanta, actually, down the street from Dr. King. who knew He knew Dr. King as a child, and he... Uh, also went to segregated schools. And so my early years were, my parents totally believed that uh, the 1963 speech uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, African Americans were going to be judged by the content of mm-hmm. their character, not by the color of their skin. They, they 100% believed that. And so they... Uh, they did not really raise us with mm. racial consciousness. And I remember being six or seven and being down in Atlanta and um, our cousins down there are much darker skinned than us. Uh-huh. And I said, Daddy, why are our cousins black? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, because we're black. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, the beginning of just trying to understand, you know, what that meant, mm-hmm. and uh, and then most of my childhood was uh, people mistaking me, and that went all the way through. Uh, less from African Americans. African Americans tended to know that there was something there. There no, was yeah, there. There. Be, I see. Yeah. You. yeah. I see you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of times, uh, I was mistaken for um, Hispanic or. Uh, Iranian, I think I got a few times. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was my own um, 
uh, education of learning about what what colorism has been in the African-American community, and it's still very much alive today. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I remember meeting you, and I was, like, stepping off the stairs, and you were like, you know I'm black, girl. I was like, girl, I know, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Michaela. <laughs> I'll never forget that. No, I do. And we have Bessie Jones here, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself um, as well. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna introduce you. You gotta say what you want people to know. Okay. Um, Come closer. Okay. Okay. Hi. Um, So my name is Bessie, and um, I'm an early childhood educator um, in the Parana Valley, and. I, um... That could be enough. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. I don't think I introduced myself either. Okay. Um, I made Julie introduce herself. See, I am right. Um, I'm Michaela, and I'm an educator in this area and a parent of two small children. And I think, um... I mean, I think that there's something to, to be said, too. Like, I have a darker son and a lighter daughter, um, and how people respond differently to them. Um... But also, and I was talking about my own blackness in terms of thinking about my hair, and I feel like that's been like such a hallmark in my life. But also, um, I mean, I feel like one of the other things with colorism, and my students want to talk about it too, is that I think of that more as internalized white supremacy, Mm -hmm. and how it lives, yeah, how that Mm -hmm. lives in us, and how we're we get confused um, about, or and and I don't even know if it's confusing, right? Because it's not an accident. No, exactly. It's division. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like purposeful division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, and just thinking about, and that first, the first question is like, how do we see our own blackness? And I had talked about wanting beads in my hair as a child. And, um, and I think that for me, my hair has been just a hallmark along the way up to the point where I was, just, when I had to ask the question, why do I straighten my hair? And I didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped doing it because I was like, that don't make no sense. I don't even have an answer to why I do this. And it's a pain. And I, you know, at the time I was living in New York and I had to take the train to Brooklyn and, <laughs> and go through all these changes to get it done. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just a headache. Not to say that having an afro isn't a different kind of headache, but um, it's because it's work. But like, uh, I feel like that's one of the struggles is loving your hair uh, and not being like, I want hair that hangs. You know, and I was reading I don't uh, don't touch my hair with Issa yesterday, and um, one of the first lines is my hair grows up towards the sun exactly like a flower, exactly. and I was like, oh, what an important thing to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what did you say the question was that you were asking about our own like how do we learn about our own blackness? Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, and then I was going to say a little more about myself now that okay. I'm like sitting and like here um also i'm a mom um i have a 14 year old um boy and i have a 15 year old girl and um their father is white um and uh yeah and do should i just go into like this concept? just roll okay just, just roll, roll with it. We're, we're okay, okay. We're here together. okay okay cool yeah <laughs> and so yeah blackness it's it's so interesting to me um in the valley where i live because i came from DC where like there were so many different, you know, folks, you know, so it was like in DC, you know, I was like queen. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So because like, you know, 
yeah, there's just so many different ways to be black. There's not like these weird stereotypes about who should be who because every there's so many subcultures, you know. And um, when I moved here, I definitely went through major culture shock, you know, major culture shock. And also my um, my children's um, father, um, I was going to say was white, but he's still white. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, so it was just really interesting because I came into this area through his life, you know, mm. and so coming from an all black, like just dope, like academic, like anything you wanted area to like this area, which has a lot of things, you know, available, you know, as far as I feel like everything that, n- not culturally, but everything that comes through DC comes through Massachusetts. Like it's that type of area where education or you know, whatever you're into, it's going to come through here, you know. So those things, like, overlap. But, you know, like, the whole, like, colorism issue and um, even in um, academia, like, just discovering, like, the different types of ways that um, people of color would choose to isolate or separate themselves. And um, so, and that was really hard for me because I came from an area that was, like, you know, I came from the Howard area. Right. But it was still, like, you had your you know, your posses. Like, I was from Cali. We came out from a group from Cali. So it wasn't as if, though, like, oh, these people who aren't in school or something that we're not or something like that. It was more like like community. Like, you, what you had in common was, like, we're from Cali. You know what I mean? Right. But we were all within the community. So here I just found it to be, it was just weird. Like, I felt like, yeah, it was just weird. Like, I definitely felt like, um, you know, like, Men favored white women. Men favored lighter women. Um, I had never felt so unseen until I moved to this area. Well, okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think that I wrote a lot of angry poetry. <laughs> Say that again. A lot of angry poetry when I was a student. When right. I, first uh-huh. there. I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. But I came from Africa. I have been living in Guinea. Okay. And I went and sat on my mama's couch in San Francisco for a few months. And I was like, I'm good. I think I'm acclimated. <laughs> but I wasn't ready. <laughs> and also, like, I'm, I'm a San Franciscan. So it's like, you know, what San Francisco is now is not what it was when I was a kid. It was so rich and so diverse in terms of race and class. Um, and, like, there, there was a such thing as working class schools, which don't exist, I don't think, anywhere in the country anymore. Like, I went to a parochial school, and, and people, every day, when there was working class, you know, and the diverse. And Wow, that's a dope concept. Yeah. I'd love to look into that. Yeah. And so, because things just, it just wasn't that expensive, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so then people, and so then when I went to Guinea, and then I came back, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to grad school in Vermont. And I was like, okay, I could do this. And then I got here, and I was like, Whoa. But also the interesting thing about this area, which I had never encountered, and this is the reality of a how supremacy works, is that um, they, people are not interested in regular black folks. Exactly. And so if I'm dressed like, if I'm wearing an African outfit, and they come and talk to me, they're like, oh, where are you from? And they found out I'm from here, from the United States. They turn on their heels and are like, oh, I don't even want to... <laughs> It's unbelievable. It's so true, though. It's so true. It's so true. I was just looking at a thing on um, Instagram with um, Ari Lennox. Uh-huh. And this guy, I don't even know this dude, shows how unimportant he is. Um, King Quasi or something. 
said some weird shit. I'm sorry. Can I curse? No. I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> said some weird. We can find. I, I, yeah. Um, said some weird stuff about like, um, and then another like, like dark black woman. And these are like, you know, performers, they're singers, said something about like, um, why do these particular like women who are dark, dark black women, um, why does it, their sexuality come across like Rockweilers? What? Yes, girl. Yes. And I was looking at that like, what? And so she um, went into like a major read on Instagram, which I, I don't follow or anything, but I've never seen her, you know, engage like this. And that's what she was saying. She was just like, this is perpetual hate against black women. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. how can that be like the situation for, you know, what I offer myself, you know, Mm-mm. to people, you know? And so it was just so interesting. So like, and it was colorism. The whole conversation was colorism. And so look it up. It was like, she was like, it was great. Yeah. And so it's just like the acknowledgement that, um, yes, this does exist. And people are living through this every day. But I feel like every time we as like, um, you know, dark skinned women want to bring it up, it's like seen as like angry or like as if something's wrong with you or like, you know, whatever. But the truth is, is that we all know it, it exists. You know what I mean? Like we're living in it every day. And you know, in your heart, like these weird ingrained like things that are like have been set up within our country, within our history, within ourselves, you know? So it's just like, it's so interesting how it plays out when the conversation comes around to be had. Yeah, go ahead. yeah. I I actually did my uh, my master's level thesis on colorism. Mm, uh, nice. And um, it was actually a mythos on uh, light skinned blacks who are mistaken for Latino or other. And uh, it was uh, I interviewed lots of uh, light skinned um, African Americans, and what was really clear is just how much trauma is embedded yes. in our conversation around colorism in the country, how we talk about it in the, in the black community, and then how it's talked about in, in the dominant culture, the white supremacist culture. And one of the things that I, you know, first of all, you know, the history is so incredibly um, bizarre mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, f- first it went to, if you're mulatto, which is a completely offensive term, but that's what they called a biracial person back in the day, then you're a slave. And then it was a quadroon, quarter, you're a slave, and then an octoroon. And then the, the language actually went, there was about 15 names right. until they finally got to the one drop rule that if you have one drop of being African American, you are a slave. And here we are today mm-hmm. with you know still this uh sense that um uh it's better to be light uh but that we want to still categorize i feel like we're still putting these categories around people that is so entrenched in this history of uh that's why we can't get out of what are you mm-hmm. you you run into mm-hmm. somebody and people want to put you in a box right away mm-hmm. and if they can't place you this is it came up again and again with the people i interviewed um, this question that's often asked with a certain level of hostility. What are you? Mm-hmm. Like, you're confusing me. And uh, one of the people I interviewed, um, I love this, he said, um, I've learned to say, if I tell you, will you take the time to listen? Mm. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, um, I think one of the struggles I see is with young people that I work with, and I 
I remember um, what stuck with me as a student said to me not that long ago, in last month, like, I'm black, but I'm not black, black. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that, um, and in that conversation, I, I mean, to me, it's so painful because here's a young, beautiful girl. And th- I mean, and that is, and I'm like, what are you, I don't even, I'm like, what are you talking about? And um, they don't know, but they've already been taught this. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't just be, you know, of African descent. Um, I have to be something else. And you can tell because of my A, B, C, D hair or whatever. I don't know those no- letters and numbers. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can tell by the grade of my hair. Or uh-huh. you can tell by whatever ancestry or because our names are from some other place. And, I mean, I hear it all. And the kids come to me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, there is there was a beauty and simplicity in just being like, I'm black and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, um and that blackness being a political term about struggle and not being about what you look like. And I said to a group of teachers too, like, um, who were like receiving me, like some, they were thinking that they were receiving judgment from me. And I said, you know what? I know that that comes with this phenotype. That Mm -hmm. comes with this face. Exactly. And so when I walk in the room and I say certain things, any observation I make you think is a judgment and you take it, are able to take offense saying that I'm telling that you're racist. So any observation that I make um, is like me pointing the finger at you. And I and that's I can't escape that. And so I feel like in that way, and I don't know how y'all feel about this, um, and maybe this could be our next, because we could probably take a break. But um, to think about, like, I feel like sometimes I'm made to be um, kind of acquiesced to white supremacy in certain realms especially professionally like to be a apo- that I'm put in a position to be apologetic mm-hmm. um to um to not and not for myself as an individual but in general or to co-sign on what they're doing to say like yeah you're right at, and they want that approval approval yeah from a black person yeah so I don't know what sh- should we do a song or like a PSA <laughs> Okay, we're going to do a song. We did You and the ITY by Queen Latifah. You missed that one. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to do um, Nina Simone? Ooh, do Nina Simone. <laughs> Feeling good? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Shine in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me And I'm feeling good Fish in the sea River running free, you know how I feel Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life For me, and I'm feeling good 
LP, your community radio station, 107.7 LP, and we're here with Bessie Jones and Julie Cunningham, and um, we were just listening to Nina Simone, which, who I love, which is is the right spot, but um, we were just talking about thinking about ourselves, and when we're kind of in a position, or I don't know if you've been in that position, to be almost like apologetic or expected to co-sign or be give approval to other people that they're not racist um or that yeah that they're not racist i can leave it like that um so yes definitely (laughs) i feel like um right now i'm in a point in my life where um i have just started to create clear boundaries about how i'm available to people especially to um middle class white women and um, I have just realized that, like, it is absolutely impossible um, for that um, to be removed. You know, that, that need of, like, approval of that, a need of acknowledging that um, they're doing something right. And for me, it almost, it became a struggle emotionally um, because I, you know, I just want to be in a space where I can, you know, honor who I am and where I am. And oftentimes, um, white women in my life are doing things that are offensive. They are doing subtle things that are constantly little pieces of violence towards me. But I don't always voice that because it happens so much that it would feel like it's just, you know, like complaining or like whatever. And then it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting Mm. to always want to have this conversation like with (laughs) one of your white friends or whatever. So I just started kind of withdrawing in a healthy way and like creating like a space for myself that is safe and that allows me to feel happy and feel joy. And when I walk out, you know, into like my bigger, more extended community, I am more available, but I'm just more clear of on what I'm not available for, you know? And it's just a, it's like a shield. Like I, you know, we all walk out of our house every day with a shield and that shield is not to know what to expect of 
the people out there that we engage with daily, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I've, I, this last few years in my life, it's been a major struggle for me. I've, I've gone, because when I first came to this area, I didn't come through the schools or everything, but I did come with like this, you know, like just crazy determination to like create community. And I initially started this grassroots organization called Mokai, and it was um, the Mothers of Color Awareness Initiative. Um, so it was, um, you know, we would all come together and have community um, crafts and things like that. And then I created another group called Color Play, and it was for parents, uh, for families parenting children of color. And so it was like I just came here like running with like these ideas and these um, things, these needs that weren't being fulfilled, you know. Yeah. And so it's it's just um, I said all that and forgot what I was going to say, to be honest. But just to like acknowledge that like um, within this community, I feel like um, as far as like academia and, you know, colorism and all this stuff, they're just and like the adoptive community, like there's just so many different um uh like just different sub departments of things that don't honor the fullness i feel like of being a child of color and acknowledging like Mm -hmm. what it takes to grow and understand being human within that but then being a child of color or a person of color within that being human you know so there's so much I want to say to you, Bessie. Oh, say it, <laughs> what, what, One, just thank you for showing up oh. for those children. It's absolutely necessary. Uh, I want to go back to the exhaustion piece mm. because um, the last few years um, have been really stressful. Uh, and to be a person of color, uh, I can't tell you how many times, what, whatever context I'm in, people will look to me ask me a question well what and often as Michaela and I were talking before I'm the only person of color in the room what do you think Julie and I feel increasingly uncomfortable with that question number one I can't speak for all people of color number two I'm I'm as I've said I'm so fair-skinned I don't I have a lot of privilege when I walk around I don't I don't feel like somebody's looking at me or um, judging me uh, other than, you know, maybe being a, you know, kind of older social worker. (laughs) 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 Who's she? Um, uh, So that is exhausting. And I've had, you know, Mikhail and I are both on the Community Equity Collaborative, and we both had to take breaks you know, as we work to make Brattleboro free of racism and discrimination of all times, there is this level of uh, just being so tired mm-hmm. of having to be the the mediator or the apologist or the uh, or the one who's going to have somehow the final authority mm-hmm. on what's going to, you know, come on, step up yourself mm-hmm. if you want to get something done. Or, or you don't need my blessing to start doing the work yourself. Exactly. Uh, and then the piece around um, children, raising children of color mm. and helping children of color in this uh, mostly white area where we do have a lot of well-meaning white people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another part of the exhaustion. People who are well-meaning but have not done their own mm. work. Uh, and... Uh, the hardship that often creates for children. Exactly, yeah. So uh, I have two biological children and two adoptive 
uh, children, and uh, one of my sons is uh, dark-skinned African-American, and um, it is an incredible responsibility and a privilege to make sure, this is when he came, he came home to us from the foster care system when he was nine, to make sure that he had a community, that he knew his history, that he knew who he was, exactly, and that he could be unapolog mm. unapolog unapologetically black. Mm -hmm. That was our mission, and we took it incredibly seriously. And now, now I have that with my grandsons as mm. well. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super awesome. Um, I did um, color play for six years, and um, the biggest problem that I saw was that um, adults were unwilling to immerse themselves in that child of colors way of life or in you know their background or where they came from but here was this small being expected to come and take all of these punches all of this battle all of this just to be a part of a family and there's so much um you know so many blind spots just so many blind spots with that peace on good intention yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know they say about good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and the other thing is that I always tell people, especially when I'm working in workshops and stuff, it's like the impact is the same. Yep. So, like, you have the best heart, and I believe that, but it hurts just as bad as if you did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. And I think that that is the, um, that's the struggle. And I, I think the other thing... I'm, I mean, I think being a woman in this area is so different also. And I feel like that's why uh, in this area than being a man, because I feel like the black man has different struggles than we do. Um, and I feel like I was really touched when you said like you felt invisibilized um, and that um, there, I feel like with women, it's kind of these two things. Either you're invisibilized or you're hypersexualized. Exactly. And yeah. there's hard there's a hard um middle and it's like the middle is that you're if you're um you're seen as uncompromising or mean. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. what um so like I'm I don't even know. It's not like Miss Jackson, you know, you're nasty, <laughs> but like <laughs> um Well angry. Angry, angry you know like yeah. that's the other it's like if you're a professional and you know your craft it's like you can't just get respect the way a man does it's mm -hmm. like they're like oh you know you have to deal with her mm -hmm. you know I, I feel like people <laughs> say that say that about me like you're gonna have to go talk to her good luck with that <laughs> and i'm like i'm not the grinch like uh -huh. what but i'm clear and i'm about my business mm -hmm. yeah and so and i think that one of the things is that like when you watch TV and like you see like Lizzo or whatever, and I like Lizzo, but it's like, I feel like that is a message that our girls are getting is that exactly. you're either like, that's the only way to be seen mm -hmm. is through your sexuality. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I, um, someone, um, oh, what's James Bakken's? I want to say his name is, oh, anyway, he was talking about, um, he had made a comment about how damaging he felt like, you know, the whole Lizzo scene was. And I don't, I'm not going to say that I fully agree with him. I feel like um, that um, Lizzo's ability to find, you know, her confidence in who she is and what she looks like. I think that that is very powerful, but I do think that there is a, a piece in discernment and for um, 
we as women and to teach our children also that like there are a range of ways to um you know to find yourself and and explore you know how to be powerful within our community and that is not the only way even though that is the way that is i feel like is over sensationalized i really do i feel like um there are just like um ari uh lennox you know what i'm saying here's a beautiful black woman um singing beautiful like melodies with an unbelievable voice and nobody knows who she is you know like in the states basically you know like it's just like this weird dynamic but then they i feel like our um you know the overhead of like commercialism takes these certain weird like the most negative like lower self experiences and over sensationalizes them so it's like we never get to see the growth of the human in the public eye you know what i mean i feel like the youth our youth you know at 21 23 you know what i mean yes you're filling your reproductive organs you're filling yourself down there you know what i mean and it's like that part of our existence as a human is publicized and over sensationalized and stuck you know what i mean it's stuck so then there's no examples of the growth in i feel like in art form for our children to see after that you know what i mean and then when you do see that it's like you know people are kind of falling off or the agencies aren't interested in them Mm -hmm. or whatever you know what i'm saying but like then it's it's our responsibility also to like you know, to balance that, like, even with, like, I feel like with the music I listen to in my house, like, you know, I'm always listening to some positive, you know, affirmation, like, you know, all around, all the time, you know, and my daughter, she introduced me to Lizzo, and she likes Lizzo, but she also has very clear boundaries about what she will and won't do with her body. She's more attached to the lyrics than she is attached to, like, this, like, learning to twerk scene you know what i mean and so i feel like there's where the discernment is like you know are we looking at the logic in the lyrics or are we like in the mirror trying to learn how to twerk you know what i mean so like we have to create what's really going on you know that that makes me think of just the dis-ease we have in this country Mm. uh with just how we experience art and music we, uh, my husband and I went to Montreal this past summer for the African Music Festival. Oh, I love mm. Louis Africa. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Incredible. Five days free in yeah. the middle of the city. Just, yeah, Louis Africa. Just uh, uh, musical act after musical act from all parts of Africa. Incredible dancing, uh, both traditional and new cultural expression of how to move to this. Just wonderful live music. The whole energy of the of where this was happening was was relaxed and accepting every single color, every single age, and I just we just don't we do not promote the arts in this culture. We just do not. Mm. We don't provide that kind of environment mm-hmm. where people and and young artists can have literally a stage and a platform. Yeah. No, and I think that they get everything from pop culture, which is mm-hmm. which is really a struggle. I mean, I think that I remember in the nineties. Um, Bahamadia had just come out and like there's no platform for someone like that Mm -mm. even Rage um, so like any hip hop artist or singer who was decidedly not sexualized did not make it Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is one of the challenges and so everyone's like um, up on whatever is new but I can't think of an artist who's really famous right now, a female artist that's not sexualized in that way, um, who's not wearing like a little leotard. Mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, 
you know, maybe Solange, but like, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And so the kids are, you know, they're, I'm usually like, we're going to a conference and you're going to be presenting. And they're like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, dress accordingly. I don't mm-hmm. need to tell you anything else, <laughs> do I? You know, it's like, it's really, it's a challenge. And I know, I feel like what you're saying, it's like, okay, I know that, you know, I was 17 and I was 20 and I rock mini a mini skirt and now I'm twice that age and I know better because that's just not what I do. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but also I was focused and I was about my business mm-hmm. even then. So that I feel like that those other things in life were not distracting me to the point of going down a different road. And I feel like that's the other thing is like you're so into what you look like or what other people are doing, what other people are saying about you that you can't do your schoolwork mm-hmm. or the social scene is so bad that you can't show up at school. You know, I, like I, I could never be in that particular place. And yeah. I feel like so we've hold we're we've created a situation where what's going on socially is so important that we can't handle the business that we have to tend to. And I feel like that's one of the struggles. It's, and and I see kids and I'm thinking like, oh, please come to school tomorrow. Like, I know this was a bad thing, but yeah. they, and sometimes they don't, they miss school yeah. because of the social challenges that they experience. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's another really hard thing. Yeah. And I guess, um, I guess I feel like, like, and you know, like, what's that shift? Like, what's the shift where um, we offer our children, you know, a way to like manage these things that that are happening, like developmentally? You know what I mean? Like, these things are things are happening. So at these at these particular ages, you know, yes, things feel like huge mm-hmm. you know what i mean it feels like the end of the world you know like such and such broke up with me or she said this about me but how do we teach our children to engage you know with their mental like capabilities of like how to like deal with problems you know in like a healthy way or how you know i just feel like there's so much detachment because of these phones or because of like you know all these different social platforms where like you get to be um, a certain image like in a photo or something but like you really don't have a very high like um, emotional IQ you know what I mean mm-hmm. so like how do we teach our children to like like have like you know an emotional IQ like well and this is the work is both parents grandparents and educators for uh, children of color is that one there's all the typical developmental things that are mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. that you have to attend to and oh. then you talk about you want to talk about race because you want them to know their history and you want them to have pride in themselves uh with my four-year-old grandson just coming here i said i'm going to go meet with my friend who's got beautiful brown skin just like you do mm-hmm. and he thought about it for a minute and he said my daddy has brown skin the kids children are thinking about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. so we have to give voice to that and we need to make sure because of the messages they get from dominant culture exactly. that we are building that sense of pride and then we also have to talk about racism mm-hmm. and you have to do that at the developmentally appropriate times mm-hmm. of sometimes black people were not treated right and so it's important that we are strong together mm. how do we match that with the age that the children are mm-hmm. i'm actually uh, asking you that, Bessie. Great. Um, I would say that um, our children, as black and brown children, don't have the opportunity to live in innocence the way white children do. 
And so oftentimes that same adult shield that we have to put on, our children have to put on. Um, even having a program in my own home with a young black boy and watching um, his freedom, his oblivion to anything but love, um, it's a struggle to sometimes watch adults' inability to know how to embrace a child of color in that freedom. Um, there have been, I've schooled young white of 20 years, you know what I mean? And I can see the same thing where there is a more of a tolerance for, you know, a free-spirited young white boy, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it's so I feel like our children are, are being faced with these issues daily from the time, from the time they come out, you know what I mean? So we have to, um, we do have to have these conversations and we don't have to create a situation to talk to them about because I guarantee you it's going to come up in the grocery store, Girl, listen. in the taxi cab. Mm. It's going to come up. Yes. At you the co-op. I mean? Yep, yes. exactly. Yes. exactly. No, no, walking around with uh, my, my grandson when he was a baby, uh, he, was made, he was about a year old, and just somebody out of the blue said, oh, look at that one. I know I've seen another one like that one. Already, <laughs> already put it, codifying him as... Yeah, no, it was a sad day for, oh, oh for the May May here. And then, and then, of course, you know, you go out and people feel absolutely free mm -hmm. to touch that baby's mm -hmm. hair. To, to put your their head, hand on their head, hi, buddy. And my son, because funny, because like, my name's not buddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why are you calling me buddy? <laughs> <laughs> my name's Biko. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Biko was three. And like, my son is so like outgoing. And we're sitting at the co-op outside. It's like summertime or something. And he might have been, he wasn't, he might have been almost three. He wasn't quite three. And he never wanted to stay with me. He always wanted to join some other family. And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and so he he gets his plate and like goes over. I'm like, here we go. And he puts his next to this little, fa this family. And it was a, it's a white woman and her two children. And one child was sitting next to her and one was sitting across. And so she, he sits next to the one sitting across from her. Puts his plate down and then proceeds to sit down. And I'm like, oh. and I don't say anything because I like let him. And the daughter looked at him, got big eyes, and she's much older than him. She must have been six. And she got up and moved. And I was like, and the mother was like horrified. Like you could see her like, she didn't know, she didn't say anything, but she didn't know what to do. And so the, the child got up and moved over. And you know, I have to say to Biko, like sometimes people don't feel like talking or like sometimes people blah, blah, blah. You're like, why don't you come sit with me? And, like, sometimes he will and sometimes he won't. And so I'm always in this situation where, like, here's this young child. I mean, from the time he could talk, would always address older kids. Hi, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? And the kids are, like, you know, they, they are just flat affect, looking at him like they don't speak English. And, and, and it's just such a – and I don't know that it's always race-based. I'm thinking sometimes it's, like, they're not used to people talking to them mm -hmm. at all, which is, like, a very New England thing, I think. Yeah. Um, and so here's this outgoing person and, he, and they're like, why are you talking to me? And I'm just like, but still, I feel like, how does that fall on him mm -hmm. when these people who are obviously so much older than him? And then I have to come over and say the same thing, like, oh, maybe they don't feel like talking. Not everyone's like that or like whatever. And, um, and sometimes the parents will say something and sometimes the parents don't say anything. And Most I feel of like times they don't say anything. 
And I feel like if someone talks to my child, my and they, my son doesn't respond. My response is always like, "You always greet people, or you always when someone is talking to you, you always look at them, or you know, regardless of whether he does it or not, mm-hmm. I'm there." And I think that that's one of the things mm-hmm. that is really hard because it because for me it hurts to have to watch that because mm-hmm. he like you're just like a little kid, and of course like he has a whole bunch of adult friends. Yeah. And when he first went to school, um, that's when one of, the, one of the comments was like, he talks to adults more than kids. It's because his experience in the world was that kids don't talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Dr. King's, uh, you see the clouds forming mm. in their mental sky mm. when they, a very small child is experiencing the marginalization or out-and-out racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I was going to say, too, you know, again, back on the adults, like, you know, why are we behaving like this? You know what I'm saying? Like like you said, if the child is not speaking or if your child's uncomfortable speaking or you know that that was like a bit much for your kid, like then as an adult, you know, hey, little person, you know what I'm saying? Like my name is such and such and this is my daughter or she's a little shy or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how, how do we create those relationships and how do we set examples for our children to see us create those relationships? There is a great article and I don't know who wrote it and um, <laughs> I keep telling you about it. It's called um, um, Children Do See Color. Uh, and I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but um, it's um, an article about people always say like children don't see race until around three or after three. But I think this article, and this was like well, 20 years ago when I read this article, but it, it I feel like it, Um, contradicts that Mm. and it's talking about like you know children can see color they can see you know what I mean they can see behavior they can see that like as a white family that there are no black people that are friends within their community Mm -hmm. they can see that there are no black people invited to their dinner tables they can see that when the parents are in the grocery store how you acknowledge a white person but you don't acknowledge a white uh, black person like children these subtle things this is what children are picking up on. Mm-hmm. They're totally imitating us continuously. So children, they see the truth. You know what I mean? They see the truth in our behavior. So regardless of what you're saying, what you're living is the example that you're giving your child. So you can say all you want to say, but if you're not immersing yourself in a, a diverse community where there are other people who don't look like you as a white person, mm. then your children, your children aren't going to feel as if though that is important or they're not going to be socialized to be able to engage in a situation like that, you know, unless later on, once we become in charge of our own selves, you know, we have a personal responsibility to ourselves, but it's like, you know, underage children. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So, you know, one, one thing that I think is really just critically important that we all just do better mm-hmm. in our society with is, um, uh, the the otherizing to the point where it, it actually can quickly become lethal, and mm. so so my son, um, who's African American, he was just at the local school playground with his child, mm. and someone came up to him and said, "This is for this playground is only for the neighborhood children," and he he they live in the neighborhood and also. He, he grew up here. And, so, and what was frightening to me about that story was, was the next thing where you're going to call the police? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So somehow, and I really, I can't get my arms around it. Somehow I want to get my arms around this one. We all know the stories. Somebody is just living their life 
being black and someone calls the police on them and then the next thing you know mm-hmm. somebody is dead exactly yeah so we have got to figure this out and I, I don't know how, but I'm putting this out on the airwaves today. Please question what what you are doing mm-hmm. before you open your mouth. That could just be the first thing is do an inventory mm-hmm. instead of going with what you think you're seeing. It could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It probably is wrong. Mm-hmm. It probably is wrong. And why do you have to go outside of yourself to be concerned with what's going on with someone else? Take care of your business. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I always talk bad about Connecticut. I should probably shouldn't. Because I'm like, people always worry. They'd be coming over to me talking about where I parked and all kinds of stuff. I'm thinking like, why are Mm -hmm. you, do you work for this town? Like, why are you coming over and talking to me about what my parking situation Mm -hmm. is? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know me. Mm -hmm. You are just way too much all in my space right now. Oh, gosh. I I don't know. I feel like the struggle is real. And I just worry so much about my children ended up in the planning room or just being someone's pet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like either one is so dangerous for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's so much personality in my house, including my own, which is it's a lot, it's a lot going on. Um, and I just, I look at them and I'm like, I know. And I feel like that's the pain, you know, like, and that our voices. And I feel like this day, I'm really happy that both of you are here because these voices don't get heard. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was invited to be a part of an pro- like alternative program to write like commentaries for VPR. I wrote two commentaries. They wouldn't accept either one. They were like, oh, th- this isn't believable. Oh, they had excuses for each one. And, and they were like, listen to some more and see what it was. It was a program. Like, I rewrote this thing five or six times, and they ultimately they turned it down. And I was thinking like, what is this? And it's only one thing. It's that though the story they're like, oh, this is, doesn't have a realistic ending, or oh, blah blah blah. And I was like, there's only certain black voices that are okay mm-hmm. to be heard, and there's only certain. Um, and so we're we're, I think you were talking about it, Julie. Like we're put into these boxes right away, and you know, for me, that's the like aggressive whatever. I don't know whatever word people use to describe me because I'm clear. And I'm clear about my boundaries, and I'm really clear about my work. I'm dedicated to my work, and I handle my business. And um, but that's and not you're respected. not afraid to ask questions. That's it. Like I feel like what I get from you is that like I, I I'm just just I say finding my voice. Maybe in the last like seven and a half years, something like that. Like where I am unapologetically speaking for myself, and not just hushing myself because I'm afraid to step on someone's toes or it's just easier, whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, like just the, the power of your voice and your energy and the beauty that you share within that. And I feel like the right mindedness within that is, um, is what I really appreciate and what I learn from and what I love most about you. Oh, yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. You're I welcome. That. I'll second that. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say I think what you were pushing up against is the incredible ignorance mm-hmm. that is a part of uh, a white suprem- white supremacy, and uh, and the denial of what has happened and what continues to happen. People don't want to hear about it. So, 
So one of the really painful things about, you know, my own learning about my own existence, literally, is that uh, the the colorism, the, the, the fact that there was always this, um, there was always lighter skinned blacks starting from slavery, mm. uh, started from rape. Mm. And I have never seen um, uh, the movie Titanic um, because at the same time that came out, uh, the movie Amistad came out, mm. and um, which is just an incredible movie um, uh, of a um, of, of a uh, African who sued for his freedom after the after they took the the Africans. Um, the, the, the people who they were trying to enslave uh, took the ship back and mm-hmm. then ultimately uh, got themselves back to Africa. A- an incredible story. Uh, but as they're first leaving Africa, there's a scene in the movie where they bring up some of the women, the, um, mm. the sailors, and they rape them. And I had never, for whatever reason, uh, even though I knew that that had happened starting from the get-go, I had I did not have a visual image of what mm. that was, mm. and then we all know what happened to uh, enslaved women mm. on plantations or anywhere they happened to be, uh, and then the same thing in um, a segregated society, a deeply segregated mm. society. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the these are the things. We don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I would say in the black community, we don't talk Mm-mm. about it enough, and uh, and then certainly the the level of trauma that we are carrying, and the whole society mm-hmm. has has carried, and then when you try to bring something up about what is happening today, mm-hmm. it's it's almost a direct line to the mm. to our origin story of the United States of America, which I get. Talk about getting tired. I am so tired of Make America Great. <laughs> <laughs> throw up. It was never great, for the record. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> um, so we have like two minutes left, and I, I don't know. I'm just so honored, and I want to thank you both. I don't know if you have any final thoughts or things you want to say well, we're still on the air. We didn't take any breaks, really. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like I, I said my closing Okay, piece. okay, we're good. <laughs> All right, well, this is Indigo Radio, um, WVEWLP 107.7. Um, tune in next week. Um, this week we were lucky to have Bessie Jones and Julie Cunningham, who herself is a pioneer as executive director of a big agency in our state, and we're grateful to have her. Um, and Bessie Jones, ex- educator extraordinaire. We're lucky to have her, but we don't have her in Brattleboro, though. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll take her wherever we can get her. Um, and uh, Anna Mullaney, who's on the board, we thank her very much. Thank you, Anna. Yes. Because I don't have the multitasking talent. All right. Thank you. And we're going to go out with a song, whichever one Anna picks. What are we going to go and listen to, Anna? Oh, solo, so keep oh, on. Hey, we were just talking. Yes, about that's what I think. Karen Wheeler is going to be coming out with a new album. Nice. Keep on. Oh.